0: Pam and I have some friends who live in the Oakland Bay Area, Jeff and Erica. They are part of a a group that are establishing a community of faith, revealing Jesus to the faculty and friends and students on the UC Berkeley campus. And so this last Monday, on his Facebook page, he posted this message.
1: Okay, so um, remember my friend, the security guard from Barnes & Noble? Uh, Well, I went back to Barnes & Noble today, and uh, I was working, and when I got up to leave, the same security guard was right in front of me, and I got a little nervous, and I said, hey, do you remember me? And he said, yeah, you you look kind of familiar. I said, I'm the guy who you thought was stealing last week. Um, I owe you an apology. And he kind of looked puzzled, and I said, "Uh, I was pretty rude to you. And I didn't have to be. I apologize and I'm sorry. And uh, he he just said, oh, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it, Uh, you know, we just have to check. And I said, no, I I understand, but I really feel bad about it. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? I'd really like to do that. He said, oh, no, I'm working, I can't. And I said, well, I'll go and buy you a cup of coffee um, at the register, and you can go get it on your break. Um, I understand that you were just doing your job, and I didn't have to be nasty like that to you, and I appreciate your service. And he just looked at me and said... Wow, thank you. That really made my whole day. And hopefully that's what we're about. As we love Christ and his light shines within us, we do something every day to make the world a little bit better and not worse. So that's it.
0: If we are a community that is going to reveal Jesus... Then we must be Jesus face to face. If we are going to be Jesus face to face, then we have to be with Jesus heart to heart. So a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, how can I live this healthy life, this life that lasts forever, that we know Jehovah God wants us to live? And Jesus said, well, you're a teacher of the law. You tell me, what does the law say? What do the Holy Scriptures say? And so he responds to him, and Luke, one of Jesus' followers, said this. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. You see, that's what Jeff was doing. Jeff was realigning his heart because we've learned in these last weeks, the heart contains the ability for us to control our emotions. It contains what we decide. It contains our thinking process. It contains what we do with our energy, with our strength. He said what is happening, he's aligning all of that so the heart is not fractured in any way. It is a dangerous thing for the heart To be fractured. So he said, please, what I want and what Jeff wanted was for the heart to move in one movement, one exact motion towards trusting Jesus and obeying Jesus. And whatever it takes, he said, my whole heart will move that way. It's the same cry as the psalmist when he recorded in Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may may walk in your truth. And now notice these words. Unite my heart to fear your name. Keep my heart from being fractured so that all of my passion is in pursuit of you. A heart not in alignment is a broken heart. And a heart that is broken has difficulty, and especially as we look at the Scripture, of going straight to the truth, to finding the truth which is finding God. So what happens is we find ourselves wandering around, trying to find truth, trying to find answers, trying to find a foundation from which we can live that is unshifting, unchanging. And all the while saying, something's broken inside, I'm fractured inside. It happens to all of us. There was this great prophet years ago in, in, in Jerusalem, his name was Isaiah. And Isaiah suddenly realized that his heart was fractured. It was, had a misalignment. And he said, he said I'm, I'm hurting, and I need to find an answer. So what does he do? He goes to the source, to the one who can diagnose what is wrong in his heart. How many here have ever been to the chiropractor? So it never fails. I go to the chiropractor and I'm thinking, okay, something is not right and I'm feeling it right here. And I get in there and I say, he says, what's wrong? And I say, well, it's, it's right here. It's, it's hurting right here. And if you just, if you solve that problem right there, I think I'm going to be okay. So I hop on this, this, this bed and, and he begins to just look at the body and touch the body. And instead of going over here, he ends up under this shoulder blade and he touches something under my shoulder blade and I shoot off the bed. I say, man, am I paying you to hurt me? Yes, I am. (laughs) He says, look, here's the source of the issue, and because this thing is not right, it's pulling everything else in your body out of alignment, so let me solve this problem and everything else will come back in alignment. Isaiah said, I got to go back to the one who knows the source of my pain. And when he moves in close to God, he says, I am undone. I feel the pain, and I'm undone, meaning I'm in misalignment. He said, I am disintegrating. I have no integrity of of my being. I am not in alignment. And then he says this, because God touches him in his sore spot. He says, I know where you're touching me, and here's the thing that's out of alignment. I'm an unclean man with unclean lips. He says, I got to be healed of that if I'm going to get back in alignment and God heals him. What I want to say to us today, and I'm proposing to you today is this, that if you're wandering around life this last week and you're feeling like you are not connecting with what is real and true, if you're feeling like part of you is broken, then you have started in the right steps this morning by going to the one who can diagnose you because only God knows what's deep down inside of us. And while you are with God, God may begin to touch you and you begin to feel some pain and you go, that's it, that's it. And you say, here's here's the issue because he touches you in that spot and you say, okay, I'm going to confess to you. Here is the problem because when we confess, we can be healed. I appreciate the words of Mark Batterson who says, God will not heal what we do not confess. Confession is the way we accept God's holy diagnosis. So that is why Jesus sent seven letters to seven churches in the first century. In essence, he said, move close to me. I'm diagnosing you, and I want to heal you. In his letters, he gives them an affirmation. Then he gives them a diagnosis. Then he gives them a correction, a healing step. And then he gives them motivation to stay in alignment. Jesus sends a letter, and this is the third letter we're looking at. He sends a letter to the inland city of Pergamum in what is now modern-day Turkey. It's about 65 miles north of Smyrna, and that's what we talked about last week. That's where the letter went last week. Pergamum is an amazing city. It is a very, very, very wealthy city. It is the provincial capital of Roman Asia. It is, it is a center of worship. It is a center of study. It is an incredibly beautiful city. It has a library with 200,000 volumes, second only to Alexandria. In fact, that library was the gift that Anthony gave Cleopatra in Egypt. So valuable was this. If you had walked down the main street... Of Pergamum, you would find the temples of worship. Temples of worship to Dionysus, Athena, Asclepius, Demeter, and Zeus. In addition to that, there were three temples given over to Caesar worship. One historian, Will Durant, writes, At the center and summit of each Greek city was the shrine of the city god. Participation in the worship of the god was the sign, the privilege, and the requisite of citizenship. In the spring, the Greek city celebrated... a feast of flowers, a three-day festival to Dionysus, a chief deity in Pergamum, in which wine flowed freely and everybody was more or less drunk. At the beginning of April, various cities in Greece celebrated Aphrodite's great festival, the Aphrodisia, and on that occasion, for those who cared to partake, sexual freedom was the order of the day. So take the materialism of the Hamptons, Mix that with the hedonism of spring break in Fort Lauderdale. And mix that then with the the power lust of the beltway in Washington. Put those together and you have Pergamum. Can you imagine trying to resist the vortex of that culture, the sucking that it would do to pull you in? Can you imagine continually day after day being pounded by that ideology? That that Just let alone the the lust you must deal with in your own life trying to combat it and having the whole civilization, the whole society around you saying, go for it, just let it rip, go, do it. It is in that atmosphere that Jesus sends a letter to the small struggling community of faith in this massive city. And here's what he says to them To the angel of the church in Pergamon, right, and to the angel means to the pastor, to the messenger. These are the words of him who has the sharp double edged sword, which is Jesus. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city. And catch these words where Satan lives. We don't know much about Antipas. We do know that he was a martyr. The Scripture calls him a faithful witness, which really means a trustworthy image of Jesus. So where in this place Satan's fingerprints were seen, there is this one Antipas who stands up in the middle of it and says, this is Jesus, and they kill him. I want you to understand how incredibly powerful and evil this city was in which these people were trying to be Jesus. That city remained strong. Pergamum remained strong for about the first and second centuries and then through a series of of wars and through natural disasters the, the temple area began to crumble. The ensuing days people would go in and loot the temples and take marble to put on other buildings. In the 1860s A guy named Kurt Hunan, who was an an engineer for Germany, came down and discovered what was happening and asked permission to excavate. So he began to excavate what was formerly those temples. And to his amazement, totally intact, he found the temple and the altar of Zeus, which was more than likely the center of worship in that city, which Jesus would refer to as the throne of Satan. He began to excavate stone by stone, and then he had it shipped back to Berlin, and he began to construct the, that, that altar to Zeus back in its original form and built, and it's an amazing altar when you look at the architecture. And And and, and he built around it what is called the Pergamum Museum, which opened in in the 1930s. One of those people who was highly impressed and overcome by just what he thought was such a wonderful, wonderful piece of architecture and, and what it stood for was a guy named Albert Speer, who was the chief architect for Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler had just commissioned Albert Speer to go and create in Nuremberg, the parade grounds where you see all the footage of, of, of the Germans doing the parades and where Hitler would give his speeches. And so what this architect did is he went to Nuremberg and recreated that altar. What you see there is a recreation with a large parade ground of that altar, and the amazing thing is where the bronze bull would be for worship to Zeus in that replication is where he put the podium for Adolf Hitler. It was from that podium that Adolf Hitler declared the marginalization of the Jews. It was in that spot that he declared the final solution. We call that now the Holocaust. The word Holocaust actually is, is a word that, that means a holy, burnt animal offering. Now, I, just, I want to step back and just let you catch this. It was here in Pergamum, this evil was so intense, that, that there were martyrs. And then that evilness was picked up and moved to Germany and, if you will, perhaps a a, a second generation of that evil. And then it was replicated over here in Nuremberg where Hitler said, final solution. And that evil, which was not as intense as this original evil, was that evil that, that back here in 92 AD, Antipas is sacrificed... As a holy burnt offering on the altar of Zeus, centuries later, in the final solution from the throne of Satan, Hitler declares, final solution, the sacrifice of six million Jews. You say, what kind of evil is that? Understand that that wasn't even as intense as the evil that was in Pergamum, and that's what they were facing. How intense that must have been for them to say, here's Jesus. Have you ever been called as a witness in a a trial? You say, well, what is a witness? A witness is someone who tells a story that is contrary to opposing views. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you receive power so that you can be what? Witnesses, in the original Greek, martyr. That you will stand up in evil places and you will say, this is Jesus, no matter how painful it is. You go, wait, 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 wait. Why would Jesus put me in a spot where I say, this is Jesus, and I would find pain? Why doesn't he just move me out? And all of us who say, here is Jesus, we all can hang together on Sunday morning, and Oliver wrote and go, here is Jesus. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, he loves me. Yes, he loves me. And Jesus said, that's not all. Because what I want you to do is I want you to stand up in those evil places. Why? Because Jesus loves the people of differing opinions as much as he loves you. And they need to see where they would normally not see in that evil place who Jesus is. Because he wants them to see his story in you.
2: One of the reasons I um,
3: I love to go to ball games is to be in the mass of humanity. I also love it because I grew up with my family coming to ball games, but I also remember coming to um, to games with church people that were totally annoyed all the beer spilling, cursing, crazy people, and I grew up thinking some of the same thing. Something changed for me about the way that I experienced ball games when I realized how much I loved all the people that were here cursing and spilling beer on each other, what they were doing. I was walking up this ramp last week, I, I have the cheap seats, Bob Euchre and Jesus sit up in the top. I get to sit with them, so I walk up a long ramp, and by the time you walk up a ramp, usually you make friends with people. This guy started at the bottom, we talked baseball most of the way up and life, and um, by the time we got to the top, he stopped me, asked me to come to the corner, and he pulls out a joint in the middle of the ballpark, there's a cop just around the corner and asked me, come over here, let's smoke before the game starts. This doesn't happen to pastors a lot. I take a big crew from the church to the game. They're all waiting for me up there. They'd be surprised to know I was in the corner with a guy pulling out a joint. I'd let him know I was a pastor and the church was up there and invited him to come and sit down with us. But I realized... um, I ought to be getting offered drugs a lot more than I do. I mean, these are my people. These are Jesus' people, the people he'd be spending time with. And chances are, for you, your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, each one of us, if you hadn't been offered something that you probably think is totally uncouth and unacceptable, then you've got to ask yourself a question of whether you're living into the path of Christ or not. I'm, I'm not living it all the time, but rarely when I step into it, I'm reminded what it really looks
0: like. So if we're walking that path with Jesus, we will encounter those who have differing opinions. Because he said, I'm going to put you in that spot, so don't fight it, walk with them. And in that process, don't ever renounce either by action or by words your faith in Jesus. Because if you remain true, What you have just done as you have invaded Satan's throne. And in that spot, you're declaring, Here is Jesus. He's always intended for us to be a community, revealing Jesus in a community that has differing opinions. And when we do that, Jesus applauds. And so Jesus says to this church, Here's my affirmation for you. I see your courageous witness. Oh, man, don't stop doing that. That's such good stuff. But then he says, here's here's the issue. Your greatest threat may not be the external. It may not be the threat from those who don't like what you're saying, those of differing opinions. Your greatest threat may not be external. So then he gives them their diagnosis, and he says this. I'm not happy because you're tolerating what God hates. It was a summer between my junior and senior years of college, and I was working with a paint contractor in Saginaw, Michigan. And all the people I was working with were people of differing opinions of faith and of lifestyle. None of them were followers of Jesus. And so it, I worked with them and I really liked these, I was really liking these guys and we were making friends and, and things were going well. And, but one of the things I noticed was this. About three or four weeks into it of, of working eight hours a day with these guys, I began to realize that once in a while when I got frustrated, words would start to form on my lips that I never said before. Words that just had not been in my vocabulary. And I thought, man, where's that coming from? We were working about two months into the summer, and we went to a private residence, and we were painting the outside of the residence, and one of the guys I work with, about the same age as me, got assigned ladder duty, which means he had to go up the ladder two stories high and paint the windows around the bedrooms upstairs. And there was, living in that house, that family, a girl about our age who was very attractive... And, and very flirtatious, well, I probably should tell you the truth, She's very seductive. And we noticed because we're college guys, and you notice that kind of stuff. And so she noticed that my friend was up the ladder painting the bedroom window, which happened to be her bedroom. So she made her way up into the bedroom like she didn't realize he was there and acted like she didn't know he was there, and she changed in front of him. He didn't let her know that he was there either. Boy, he came back down that ladder when she was done changing, and boy, he he gave us all the details. Now, I will be very candid with you. In my mind, my mind was thinking, man, I hope he gives me ladder duty tomorrow. Say, no, yeah. And all you guys know what I'm talking about. I thought, no, no, I can't have this. What was the deal? Here was the deal. I was beginning to become misaligned in my heart. My emotion was saying, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. And my mind was saying, don't let him see this. Go do this thing, then you can come back. I was fractured. I was misaligned. And the truth of the matter is this, that Jesus never said, love me with part of your heart. Let me with this part, with, with, with your emotions, and your mind can just go ahead and think on what it, what, what it wants. It said, you've got to be in total alignment if you're going to be able to walk in truth and establish a relationship with me. If we are a community revealing Jesus to a community with opposing views, then we must be careful that our heart does not misalign. So, How do you do that? Because I'm, I'm living in this culture. How do I do that? Well, Jesus had two forms of authority that he primarily used. And, and he says, I give those, that authority to you. And, and, and the two are these. The first is the word dunamis. It means power to do that which you normally naturally could not do. It's Jesus speaking to a blind man and saying, see, that's dunamis. It's Jesus saying to the guy that's dead in the tomb, get up and walk, get out of there, unwrap him, he's alive, that's That's dunamis. Jesus said, I'm going to give you that authority. There's a second authority called exousia. Exousia is the authority and the power not to do something that you would naturally do. Jesus said, when they said, We're going to kill you, Jesus said, I have the authority to put my life down and pick it back up again. You don't have the authority over me. I have the authority to do that. Jesus said, If I want, I can call a legion of angels and wipe you guys out, and you can't kill me. But he did say this in the garden. Not my will, but yours. That's exousia. I I want to, and I have the ability to keep from being killed, from dying, but I refuse to do that. I have the energy to say no to what I could go ahead and do. See, that's what Jeff did. Jeff lives in a culture, and so do you and I, we live in a culture where If someone violates our rights, our culture says stand up for yourself and get nasty if you have to, but get your rights. In the kingdom of God, as a citizen of Jesus' world, he says let no unwholesome word come from your mouth. So at that moment, Jeff has to say no to living that way and yes to living this way, so he repents, goes back to getting his heart in alignment and asks forgiveness from the guy and actually blesses him. He uses his exousia authority. Those brave folks in Pergamum are wearing down. It's so intense, it's so tough. So Jesus says, be careful, because there's an internal thing going on there. And he says this, Revelation 2.14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Just imagine, if you will, that you live in a society that tells you that multiple sexual partners is okay and that it's okay to get drunk into oblivion. Just try to imagine that. Oh, wait, we do live there, don't we? The Nicolaitans were a sect who believed that if if Jesus came and forgave us for our sins and gave us freedom, because Paul said it's for freedom, we've been set free, that we have the freedom to do whatever we want because Jesus still loves us. I want to propose to you this morning that there's a difference between Jesus still loves us and we love Jesus. We can still say Jesus loves us, but it doesn't mean we have a relationship with Jesus. To have a relationship... Well, if, if, if I came to my wife, Pam, and we weren't dating, and we weren't, we weren't together, and I just said, I love you, they'd say, are you in a relationship with Pam? Well, I love her, but are you in a relationship with Pam? Well, I love her. And they'd say, Pam, how's that with Jack? He loves me, but are you in a relationship? No, not until Pam says... I love you. Relationships have to, to have this, this two way thing going on. So for us to say, Oh, I'm okay because Jesus loves me is not a guarantee that we're in a relationship because we've got to be able to say we love you. And Jesus said, I'm going to qualify for that for you. If you're going to say you love me and we're in a relationship, then you have to love me with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Otherwise, we don't have a relationship. I was in a church where we had someone who was, was major involved in ministry, and they, they changed their sexual orientation. And we didn't know that. They were still ministering, and I finally found out, and I said, well, what are you doing? And the person said to me, since I made this decision, I feel so much more at peace, and I feel such a greater love from God. I said, but do you understand that the revelation that Jesus gave to Paul says that you can't do that? Well, no, because Jesus loves me. But the question is, do you love him? Because until you love him, you're not in a relationship. Balak was supposed to entice the Israelites, first by by creating this, this, this prophecy against him, and that didn't work. So what he does, he goes to the, the Moabite women and says, go hang out with the Jewish boys, seduce them, marry them, and when they did, they took on those gods, and God punished them. So they thought God would still love me, but God said, no, we're not in a relationship anymore. What Satan can't accomplish through direct threats He does by fracturing the heart. See, these people in Pergamum would still love God with their hearts, but with their decisions and their thinking and their energy, they were not loving him. They would go to these pagan dinners, these big, huge celebrations, big, big Las Vegas-style parties. And they would eat food that had been offered to demonic idols and say, hey, he still loves me. And then they would involve themselves in sexual relationships with the temple prostitutes, and they would come back for worship and say, he loves me, oh, how he loves me, oh, how he loves me. And Jesus is writing them a letter to say, whoa, Hank Williams Sr. didn't say at first, God did. Your cheating heart will tell on you, and I got you. He said, I want the church, the community of faith, to stand up at this moment and say that culture cannot live within the community of faith. And he said, you are tolerating it. He said, he said you, you, you can't be tolerable to say, oh, it's okay, do what you want to do. He said, I want you to understand that you've got to love me with your whole heart, and to do that, you've got to say, this can't get in here. You've got to hate what God hates. So here's the deal. As we are loving our neighbor, who is of the differing opinion, we use dunamis power to free them. But while we're walking with them, we use exousia power not to be influenced by the spirit that influences them. Jesus is not saying don't be friends with those who live lifestyles that don't match what Jesus taught. But what he is saying is don't embrace or participate in those lifestyles and say it's okay with Jesus. So Jesus said, here's the deal. I want to correct that. I want to heal you because your, your heart's out of alignment. And he said, here's the correction. Just tell the truth. Even when the culture boos you, Boo! don't want to hear it. Remember when Jesus had fasted 40 days and then he was taken by the devil to to be tempted? And first thing he says to Jesus after he hasn't eaten for 40 days, he says, Take this bread and take these rocks and make them into bread. And Jesus says, No. See, understand that in that culture and in the Roman influence, that anyone who could give out bread to the people was looked at as being very popular because that's what the Romans would do to get everybody to love them. They'd give out bread. And it's thought that, that what Satan was saying to him was, make yourself popular, make bread for everybody who's hungry because, you know, there's a lot of people who need food, so make it for yourself and everybody else. And Jesus said, no, I don't follow the culture's popularity. Satan took him to the, the top of the temple on the pinnacle and said, throw yourself down because the Scripture says the angels will, will catch, you, catch you and everybody will go, look at that, look at that sensationalism, we'll follow him. And Jesus said, I won't do that because I don't need the culture's sensationalism. Finally, the devil says, well, here's all the kingdoms of the world. I can give those to you if you worship me. It'll be a whole lot easier than what you've got ahead of you. And Jesus says, I don't need that either. I don't need the culture's easy way of doing it. Sometimes you have to suffer to get to where God wants you to go. And so after each one of those, he said, it is written, this is the path I follow. Loving him with my whole heart. So Jesus then says to the church in Pergamum, Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent means to go back to that healthy place and realign our hearts. It means to get the emotions and the thoughts and the decisions and the energy all in alignment. He says, I want you to go back so that you are living and telling the truth. Or, God says, now catch this, I will come and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. So let me just pause here and just say to you, this is not myth. This is not a religion of just this this wonderful God who lets me get away with it, whatever. This is a God who says, if you continue in this process, I will come to you with the sword of my mouth, which means that he will speak what is necessary to punish or discipline us, Because what he's saying is I won't let that stuff make its way into my community and I won't let it disintegrate your heart, so I'm going to try to put a stop to this. I can recall many, many years back when I was in misalignment with God. I wasn't loving him with my whole heart. In fact, I was trying to take a little bit of the differing opinion and live it at the same time. And God was speaking to me during that process saying, come back, come back, come back, come back. You know, you know, you know. And I kept saying, yeah, but you love me, you love me, you love me, you love me, you love me. I'll be fine. I will tell you that after a while, I quit hearing the voice come back. And what I did notice was this, that my effectiveness at work began to diminish as if favor that had been upon me had just been lifted and everything became a really tough struggle. I felt like where I had had foundation in life, it began to get really shaky, as if foundation had been removed. I had sensed that there was more of just an ugly, evil thing just kind of hanging over me as if God had stepped back and said, okay, you want to play there? I'll let you play there. And I also noticed that the relationship with my wife and my children had begun to deteriorate. And suddenly I realized that I had been messing with the wrong man, the wrong being. It's exactly how I sounded. <laughs> I said, oh, God, please, please come back. It's what the psalmist said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew a right heart within me. Get me back in alignment. We are responsible to know and live truth as followers of Jesus. You say, well, I didn't know that. you got to know it because it's right there. It's in the Holy Scriptures. you got to read it. You're, You're following Jesus. Read the manual. And we're responsible to live it. God insists. In addition to that, he says, I'll reward you. He says, here's the motivation. I will give you power and status, not as the culture gives you, but what is so much better within my kingdom. You know, to get to the pagan dinners, you just couldn't walk in. You had to have an invitation. Many times what you got as an invitation piece was a white stone. That was what was the invitation. And if you were a guest of honor, you'd have a name written on the stone. So Jesus says this to them. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. I'm going to give this to you. I'm throwing a dinner, and I want you to go there. There was this common belief in that region that every god had a hidden name. And if you could find the hidden name, you would then receive the status and the power of the god. Jesus said, I'm inviting you. Here's your invitation to come to my dinner. I'm going to give you food that I cook just for you. This hidden manna of God, this, this presence of God, this this, this, this you'll, you've never had anything like this. It's, it's been waiting for you. In addition to that, I'm going to give you my name. If you will refuse to compromise your heart to gain favor of the, of the culture in which, which you live, I will offer myself, I will offer my status, my favor I have with my Father. I will give you that favor and my power. Now, please hear me. His favor and his power. Not only when he returns to change this world, but even now as you're walking with him, he will give you favor and he will give you power. So Jesus says, No more cheating hearts. You'll break. Instead, let me take your heart, you'll heal. Jesus says for us, it's time to realign.
2: I rejected my worth. Denied the truth from whom I'm birthed. Became a brick and played my part. Unstable from the start. Hardened to the heart. I can't hold up this world on my own. Even the mortars crumbled undone. And the home I existed in, in the past. The place that I thought was built to last. Turns out to be an aching wound. From the way I've gained and assumed. So, water, fall. Let tears be my call. Lord, don't hold back. Take it all. Take it all. In all relations, now and past, breathe life that's meant to last. May the consequences of the then and now heal beneath the salve of your know-how, and love become the remedy, the power of God that sets us free. Because God's grace is not wisdom's fool, a dying art, a jester's tool. It comes as tender to the flame, spirited passion of the holy name. I have to still and just rest in it, agree to the places of your benefit, and remember the cause to which I claim, level the bricks and align them again to befriend the rich and the poor. So comfort is a luxury no more, but the constant of kingdom living and the inspiration of all giving. We can't hold up this world on our own. Take it all. Take it all.
0: So, some of you sit in here today, and as you have been in His presence, He has touched you, and you have felt the pain. You have felt, I'm out of alignment. I'm, I'm, I'm allowing my mind to go where it shouldn't go. I'm, I'm allowing my emotions to control me. I'm allowing my energy to go someplace else. My decisions don't line up with what would make him pleasing, pleased with me. And he's saying to you today, I need you to realign. I love you that much. I want you to realign. We sang it earlier, oh, he loves me, he does, and he wants you to love him in return so that you can be in an intimate relationship with him. And that's why John, a follower of Jesus, said, I write these things to you so you don't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, and if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all impurity to put you back in alignment because he loves you that much. He died so that you could walk in alignment with God. And so before we go here today, I think it's just so vitally important that, that we take this step of faith to just say, take it all. The life that I've been trying to live, take it all. I want to be realigned with you. I want to put my faith in you. So in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and as you do, I'm going to ask you not to leave. I'll get you out of here in just a few minutes. But, but I think there's some decisions some folks are making right now, unaided by any emotional music. I just, I just want you to hear God speak to you. And for you to say, I, I want to come back. I, I want to come to Jesus. And I want to realign my life, and I want to follow him. I, I want his favor. I want his power in my life. So would you just stand? And I'm going to ask you to turn to the folks that are, clear, that are next to you, in front of you, behind you, around you, and just say to them, would you like to come to Jesus today? And as they say yes, as you say yes, they're going to come with you, and you're going to together walk right down here, and we're going to have a prayer together, a prayer of realignment together we're not going to embarrass you or, or, or single you out but we're going to do a prayer together so whether you're in the balcony or the main floor I'm going to ask you now just to turn to somebody next to you and say would you like to come to Jesus and as that person says yes you both come down and meet me right here just do that turn to each other and just say it come on would you like to come to Jesus some of you aren't talking go so say yes just come join me right here come on come on That's it. Come on. That's it. That's it. That's it. Let me do this. I know some of you come to kneel, but I want you to come here stand by me first and we'll let you if you want to do a little some kneeling afterwards, you can just draw closer because I want you close to me. That's it. Some of you are new here and you said, I wasn't sure what you're going to do, and I see it's okay. Let's just turn to the person next to you and say, change my mind, take me down there. That's it. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I give this invitation. And that's what you're doing right now. And so I want to pray a prayer for you of, of realignment. It's going to be a scriptural prayer, and I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me just so that it's coming from your heart. And those who are in the, in the audience here will join with us so it is encouragement to you. But I just want you to repeat this and make it come from, from who you are. Dear Jesus, realign my heart. I want to love you with all my heart. So you promised that if I confess my sins you're faithful and just just to forgive me for my sins sins and cleanse me from all impurity. You You also promised that if I put my faith in you, that you would make me a child of God. I declare by faith I'm now part of your family. Now please guide me. Take all of me. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. pray. Amen. 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 So here's what I want us to do. First of all, I want to just say welcome to what God has for you. We're so delighted. And, And we back here are just proud of what you've done today. Would you just tell them how proud you are? So what we want to do with you right now is just have a few moments to just give you a gift and help you on this journey. We're going to take about two or three minutes of your time, and it gets really noisy in here. So we're going to ask you in just a moment to just head out those doors right there. If you can't use steps, the usher will get you there. Nothing weird or wacky is going to happen back there. You'll be okay. And the people that, that brought you will wait for you. If they don't, I'll take you home. So you'll be okay. Or, or Joel will. So... Uh, we want to just uh, assist you and help you on the way. So, Pastor Jason, if you go by that door and, and everybody, don't be afraid. We're going to be good to you. Nothing weird is going to happen. And you're going to have a good time back there. So, just follow Jason, if you will. Those who brought friends, just lead them on the way that way. And God bless you guys. Thank you. And your friends will wait for you. That's it. Go that way. There you go. So now to this community of faith, thank you for your worship to God today and thank you for hearing these words that we will guard our community, that we will not allow us to be changed by our culture. Be sure we hear the words of the Lord today. So I'm going to pray a blessing on you and then when we're done, we're all going to go to the gym and have a good time. Now Father, I pray a blessing on my friends and I speak to them now and I say to you that are here, may you today discover how intense God's love is for you. And may you choose to align your heart in every facet of living to follow him intensely. And in so doing, discover the joy, the peace, the favor, and the power that now exists within your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.